Welcome to the Crisis Ability Podcast, where we bring you fascinating discussions around the topic of finding possibility amidst crisis. Crisis Ability is brought to you by Devry BV Sustainable Strategies in collaboration with Intercepting Horizons and the Co-Roundtable for Moral Capitalism. Crisis Ability is hosted by Devry Buchner Vorwerk, founder and CEO of Devry BV Sustainable Strategies, Michael Wright, founder and partner at Intercepting Horizons, and Steve Young, Global Executive Director at the Co-Roundtable for Moral Capitalism. Good morning and good, good afternoon morning, to you, good morning, Klaus. Debbie. How's everyone doing? Well, well, pretty good. Pretty good. The, the weather's a little warmer now, I think. Yeah, here in Minnesota. Um, and it's, it's a delight to see you all here again for our Crisis Ability podcast. As, as our viewers will recall, we had a pilot stage about two weeks ago where we completed about seven phenomenal podcasts around the concept of crisis and possibility. Today is our first go live um, podcast under our new branding and our new format. And so with that, I'd like to welcome our first guest this morning to Crisis Ability, where we will be discussing uh, the intersection and the notion of crisis and possibility coming together. And I see here, um, Steve Young is, is holding up the art of leading. What a delight to have Dr. Klaus Leisinger on our show this morning. What I'd like to do, Steve, since you and Klaus go way back, would you mind introducing Klaus, and then we'll get started with the conversation? Well, very briefly, uh, Devery, what I'd like to say is Klaus is a guy whom everybody would like to have dinner with or lunch with because you will learn so much. He has, he has his, as a young man, his, 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 his experience is very much in business. Uh, he's European, and he worked for the Novartis Company, and was working on things like like river blindness in Africa. Uh, he then was head of the Novartis Foundation, which allowed him to be directly involved in the evolution of what we now call sustainable development. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the strengths of Klaus and one of the things that, that he, he loves to do is to talk to people, get to know people, and build bridges. And, and he set up now in his retirement, but fortunately, he's not really retired. He's still working. Uh, he's, he's learned in his career that there, there are a lot of core values and, and, and similarities and common problems among all of us around the world. And, and how do we use that as a basis for making progress? Um, he writes very well. He speaks a number of languages and is a great supporter of what the United Nations can do. Great. Great. And, you know, with that, <clears throat> Klaus, you have a new book coming out, one of, of many books that you've offer, authored throughout your career called The Art of Leadership. Mm-hmm. And I would say this is your first exclusive interview before you launch the book next week. So we're delighted to have you. You know, Given that, we'd, we'd love to dig in, um, in into some of the concepts of the art of leadership. And I'll start out of the gate with a question. Do we have a crisis of leadership? Yes, we do. And, uh, you know, this is not only in the context of Corona, because, you know, if you have something totally new, something where you do not have formal experience you can draw on to solve the problem, you need trust, you need confidence that those who know more are honest, that those who are supposed to lead you as politicians, as corporate leaders, mean well and do not have a hidden agenda uh, with regard to power or, or advanced knowledge. 
And uh, if you ask uh, through the Edelman trust barometer, if you ask people all over the world, uh, do you have trust? You know, do you trust industry? Do you trust business, state, NGOs, media to do the right thing? You have uh, a disastrous uh, report. You have four, only 47 percent of the people surveyed in, seven, in 27 industrialized and emerging countries say we trust governments. Uh, companies, we trust only 44 uh, percent trust companies. And uh, particularly if you ask, uh, do you believe in the statements of CEOs uh, in business or of political leaders, it's even less. It's less than 40% believe that this is true for business and less than 30% that it's true for government. Now, in such a situation, you know, who should people turn to? Mm -hmm. Who should people turn to with regard to, you know, what do you recommend and on what base? Uh, if you ask for sacrifices in your daily life or in your behavior, why should we do that? You know, what's the purpose that I'm sacrificing for? And if people then tell you something and you don't trust them, mm -hmm. you will not comply. Yeah, yeah. So in, in that regard, then, help us understand how do, we, how do we work ourselves out of this or do what is it going to take? What kinds of, of is it new types of leadership? Is it drawing on old lessons of leadership? I mean, how do we keep a possibility mindset uh, around you know this moment in time and this compounding of crises. So it's a crisis of leadership, as you say. There's a crisis in the climate. There's a crisis in the healthcare system. The crisis in the economic system. Yeah. How do how do we move from here to where we where we know we want to go? I do believe that uh, it's about a new type of leadership. It's not strong in the John Wayne or Rambo sense. Uh, you know, I'm going to tell the rest of the world what ought to be done. Uh, and uh, certainly it's not a country first, uh, because complex international issues do not have national solutions. You need cooperation, you need co-creation, and you need leaders have, my grandmother always said, God has given you two eyes, two ears, and only one mouth. So deal accordingly. We need leaders who are willing to listen. We are leaders who are caring about uh, the purpose of their action and not on the re-electability. Uh, we need the people who, you know, basically uh, are interested in building others up to be able to express themselves, to bring their points of view in and share it so that we can create this solution mosaic, which we always need for complex issues. Um, Klaus, if, if I could, if I could jump in and ask you, you're, you chose for your title of the art of leading. Now, aren't you taking us back in time? Um, I'm challenging you. Doesn't modern society depend on science, on precision, on mathematics? And you're you're talking not about the science of leading. You're talking about the art, as if it's it's something that's far more personal and emotional. Is is that fair? That's very fair. It's far more personal. It's far more emotional. I, you know, the, 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 the most important people I met in my life, be it uh, Kofi Annan or Ban Ki-moon from the United Nations or be it uh, presidents of the World Bank, uh, the most impressive people are humble people. Mm. Uh, allow emotion, emotional aspects coming in. Science, natural science, 
four and four is eight. But already in social science, four and four is something between five and nine. And you need a personal approach to it. You need your emotions being part of your decisions. You know, it's not, it's not adding up figures. You know, it, it's the question, you know, what is it all about with regard to business? If you have an attitude that puts the quarterly report as the single most important, if not only measure of success, you will get a totally different approach to leadership and to corporate culture than if you say, you know, at the end, we want to combine corporate success with community well-being. You know, that's much more sustainable and that's different in its way. And that's an art. That's mm -hmm. not science. That you need at the tips of your fingers. You need the feeling. You need empathy. Uh, you also have to listen to people who might not have an academic degree and mm -hmm. yes, have a lot of wisdom. I worked five years in sub-Saharan Africa and I did a lot of 20 years uh, with, with, with on leprosy, not on, on, on river blindness, on leprosy. And, you know, these people look not very beautiful. They do not have a high social status. But in many respects, they have a lot of wisdom. And we all have to learn about that. Mike? Well, I'd like to ask two questions, Klaus. Uh, one is, you talk a little bit uh, in the introduction to your book about we're children of our times. Yeah. And most of our ethics are built around a time and space constraint. Yeah. We can observe the behavior and the context. We now live in an interconnected world that's very complex, and we have to trust the future to technologies that we can't see the outcome. Yeah. So we no longer have a reference of space and time for our ethics. Yeah. How do we project that forward? How is there a possibility in there to say that if we get our values right, we can uh, take those steps forward with a greater degree of trust than we can today? Definitely, yes. That's the short answer. The second answer is there any technology is only as good as the people who handle it. They are technology inherent problems that comes out of the exact technology. You know, some technologies are more dangerous than others. And they are technology... There are issues, there are problems of technology according to the use, technology transcendent problems. And you know, a lot of, of technology, look at uh, CRISPR Cas or look at the genetic engineering. You probably, to handle corona, to produce a, vir a, a, a vaccine or to produce a medicament, you probably need CRISPR Cas, genetic engineering, biotechnology at the highest degree. And yet, you can use the same technology to create new weapons for a biological warfare. It all depends on the values you have. It all depends on the purpose you're working for. This is why we cannot let individuals out of their responsibility. And the responsibility is to respond to the issue and to the people they are dealing with. So it says that essentially from a... Um, just sort of a high-level theoretical standpoint, the education should focus more around the values and the uh, hmm. core, core morality of, of people rather than the science part, because as we move into AI and other technologies, a lot of that is going to be taken care of by machines. To your point, how we program those machines becomes very important, and who does it becomes very important. Yeah. 
But you see, machines cannot make decisions. Like, look at the trolley problem. You have this, uh, with this autonomous uh, uh, driving, you know, you as a human being make decisions. You don't leave, you cannot program a balancing and you cannot, you know, put up one life against somebody else's life. And, uh, you know, what we ought to teach uh, uh, is also, you know, if we talk about a, a moral philosophy, you have utilitarianism, that's the biggest uh, success for the biggest number of people. You have Immanuel Kant with the, with the uh, um, uh, categorical imperative. What I'm standing for is situation ethics. How can, we, how can we train people, how can we educate people that they, out of the moral wisdom that is 2,500 years old, that they are informed in a very specific situation which way to go. Hmm. And that is an art and that's not a science. Yeah. Klaus, I'd, li- I'd, like to, I'd like to jump in again um, because what has been worrying me a lot in recent years is the intellectuals, particularly in America, particularly in American academia, our expertise, our young, turning their back on history. You just mentioned that we can find, we can make good decisions. We can move ahead by going back 2,500 years. I would say most educated people in the world would, would, would dispute that. They say we have to be forward-looking. It's what's coming tomorrow. Yeah. And in your own book, you went back to Eric Fromm, what he put his ideas together sort of in the 1930s, his book that you was in the 1950s, he's old fashioned, he's old hat. Why should young people today in this crisis pay attention to somebody whose ideas are half a century old? Hmm. Yeah. You know, protecting people's, not violating people's dignity, respecting human rights, accepting people the way they are and do not try to manipulate them until they are the way you like them. These are not thoughts of the 30s or 70s or 90s. These are very actual thoughts. It's very much the inner attitude, how do I treat others? The golden rule is 2,500 years old and very, very uh, relevant now. Don't treat others differently than the way you want to be treated yourself. So, you know, not everything that is old is out of, is out of fashion or out of, of, of relevance. Uh, what I was, where I was going back to, to Erich Fromm is, you know, uh, and by the way, uh, you know, we all have these different narratives. You have whatever leadership type you want. They have this one good story that they then extrapolate to every situation in the world. You know, how ridiculous. Everybody knows that this doesn't function. But, you know, I'm not saying read from and then you can solve all the problems. I'm saying people that care about others, people that are willing to learn, that people that have a sense of responsibility want others to grow, that people who respect people the way they are and, and, you know, regardless of age and ethnic and whatever it is, that we need such leaders. And, you know, we also with regard to moral philosophy, we always have to contextualize moral philosophy. You always have to say something that Confucius said 2,500 years ago in a Chinese valley, a village is not one-to-one uh, uh, relevant for somebody who lives in New York City. But the, the, core, the, the, the core of the thought is that we are not individuals, we are a community. And that means that we 
treat each other in the sense of the golden rule, that we learn from each other, that we have the humbleness to say we don't know something if we don't know something and are willing to learn from others regardless of their origin, of their academic career, of whatever it is. That makes a leader and not somebody who says, I'm standing here, I know everything better and you better do what I tell you. What, what I'm what I'm processing as you're speaking, Klaus, is that it's simple and complex at the same time. The the simplicity in it is that we get back to our basic, um, just basic humanity. Yeah. That's the simplicity in it. The complex side of it is um, that we've got some frameworks. We've got we've spent the last twenty five years at least coming together around um, a common, you know, potentially global trade agenda the sustainable development goals, which are the 17 goals that the the United Nations has for us solving and ending extreme poverty by 2030. We've got these frameworks here. But what what we've also got is a crisis where basically uh, all of the systems are falling apart. And so my question is, what are practical steps then? So if we know it's as simple as getting back to basic humanity and the art of leadership you're talking about, what are the simple well, steps we can take? Well, the, the steps are never simple to, to, to <laughs> solve a complex yeah. problem. But you see, you know, if we look what you learn at Harvard Business School, and I have done leadership courses there, if what you learn there is very much what uh, Steve was referring to, it has very much to do with science. You have uh, the, the, the difficult leadership theories and, and, and you learn them. Uh, and they are not more than signposts that you can use uh, if you are in the fog, but still you have to find your way. And what, we, what I am missing there is, you know, and that is my experience, uh, all the bosses who, who, who have all these privileges, they are human beings like you and me. And, and very often, if you see them in a private sphere, uh, they must be schizophrenic because they talk privately differently than they talk in their role conflict they have. If people tell you, well, as a human being, I think you are right, but as a boss of this company, I, you can't be right. You know, this is a, 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 you know, a sickness of the mind. Yeah. So what can we do? You know, what, the, the, the personality aspect, the character, character aspect of people bef- that are chosen to be leaders is undervalued. And what are the criteria under which you hire people from externally? Are you hiring marketing people who have been selling, uh, I don't know, uh, washing powder or ketchup, and uh, the more they sold, the better leaders they are? I'm not so sure. They might be good marketing people. They are good, good uh, um, finance people, you know. But you know, if you reduce the world to the dollars and pences, maybe that's not a leadership attitude you should have. Hmm. And if you see um, one of the leaders that I admire is Paul Pullman of Unilever. He had a totally different approach, not only to the sustainable development goals, but also attending all the different workshops and conferences. Yes where you need people. It, the shoulder rubbing in the breaks is much more important than what you hear from, from the lecturers. You need people and you need people who think differently. And then if you have the humbleness to say, 
why are you, you know, explain, you know, maybe I can learn something. And if you have a personality that says, thank you very much, you know, I have to change my mind because your argument was was convincible, you know, that's a different approach than if you start to put people into troughs and those who, who, who kind of always agree to you, they are the ones you like and they are the ones you want to have around you. And if people who contradict you are, so to say, enemies, and you put them in the, they can do nothing right. And, you know, it's, uh, I'm not a, a big friend of, 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 of Rumsfeld, but his famous, his famous uh, uh, talk on, there are things we know that we know, there are things we don't know that we know, and there are also things we don't know that we don't know. That category is extremely important under conditions of new problems. And yeah. you reduce that category by stakeholder dialogues, by being open to other minds, to other, to other uh, opinions and convictions, uh, instead of, you know, bullying them off. Great. And I, um, I'm keeping time here. And so we are close to the end of our discussion. We've been in a sprint. I, I want to ask Mike or Steve, do you have any final questions or comments for Klaus? Yes, I do have one for Klaus on um, if you look at somewhat what you're saying about not throwing out the uh, the past for the sake of the future. Yeah, um, there is a you know, there is an argument that the primal brain hasn't changed. Yeah. And if it's changing, it's changing very slowly. Yeah. So it's very true that our behaviors are what we have to influence mm -hmm. in order to get the performance we're after. Yeah. So in this, is there the possibility, especially with synchronous communications, which has a plus and a minus, we can influence a lot of people very fast, yeah. very quickly, almost what instantaneously. How do, we, hmm. how do we come up with some possibilities to make sure that that influence is on the level that you're talking about, where you start thinking about the ramifications of your actions yeah. and you take responsibility for them, even though they may not show up until the future. Well, Michael, it's, you know, it's, it, it starts with, with, with how you bring up your children. It starts with how you live your role as a father or a, later on as a teacher in whatever, that you walk as you talk and that you reflect what you are doing so that you, you know, that you kind of, of, of create a personality by, you know, by living the role model, that's one thing. But the second thing is that, uh, you know, if you talk about business ethics, you very often have the economic ethics, that's the, the normative frame of the state, and then you have corporate ethics, that's the guidelines and the code of conduct, and then you have virtue ethics of the people who actually are there. And it's the interplay of that. You cannot be a naive good doer as a corporate CEO if you live in a competitive environment that does not even take uh, the, the, the legal minimum as a, as a benchmark. Uh, you need a, a culture that kind of supports responsible being. It has to do that a lot of the things that we depend on as human beings today are not priced in, in the goods that we have, in the services that we have. The prices do not say the, the ecological truth and the prices do not say the social truth. And we cannot moan about the working conditions in Bangladesh if we go and buy shirts for $10 or less. 
So, you know, it's a complex interaction of politics, of corporate politics. It also has to do with something that, uh, that Steve is doing. You know, how do we value success in a company? If you reduce it to financial issues only, you miss a lot that our children depend on. And, you know, what we can do as fathers or as grandfathers is at least we want to make sure that our children live in a world that is comparable with regard to the options they have, to the choices they have. And yet a lot of what we do to increase the, 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 the financial wealth pulls that carpet about under their feet. Great. Well, I, we've come to the end of our time. And one thing I, I'm thinking about the possibility in all of this is that um, there, it's, it's a grand possibility that there's going to have to be a, a major system-wide change in leadership because even though it's as simple as getting to the art of the leadership that you're talking about, these complex systems, these corporate systems, these government systems, um, you, you can have leaders who are courageous enough to step in and do the right thing, but you've hit on the main topic around culture. And so there's, there's, I think the possibility is for us to be thinking about how we collectively address the cultural aspects that, um, that need to change within these broad systems at, at a community level all the way to the global level. And um, I'll say one thing that's coming out of this, this um, possibility of staying home, and I've now become a teacher, a homeschooling teacher, is you mentioned it, Klaus, it starts with your children. And so in all of this, we have this moment in time to pause and think about and d- directly relate to our children in a way that the current system had not allowed us. And so what I would like to do, Klaus, is invite you back because we have so much work to do. And a, a simple thing, Steve, if you can hold up the book that, that any of our listeners can do is to take a look at The Art of Leading um, by Klaus. And, and then we can come back and have a conversation because we've got to scale up and speed up this system-wide leadership change. So, Debra, if I could say very yes. quickly, any of our readers seeing the, any of the people seeing this who want to read the book, just go to Amazon and put in yeah. Klaus Leisinger's name and the art of leading, and you can get to the page and you can get either your Kindle copy or or a paperback. And yeah. we price this not to make any money because Klaus walks his talk. We price this to make it easy for you, our viewers, to get a copy of the book. Awesome. Klaus, any closing comments before we we end our conversation? Yeah. You know, we all know as human beings uh, that life and happiness is much more than having money. It is also about the values of an intact society. And if we work on in business, in politics, and in the family, that there is economic capital and social capital and environmental capital, and it's one, it's not, it's inseparable, that's a first step because then all of a sudden focusing on one is not good enough. Great. And we'll end there. Thank you, Dr. Klaus Leisinger, for joining us here on Crisis Ability. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Crisis Ability. Crisis Ability is produced by Eric Sandy and proudly presented by Devry BV Sustainable Strategies. At Devry BV Sustainable Strategies, We believe in inspiring businesses to courageously serve humanity 
We do this by integrating sustainability into your business strategy, helping your organization to bridge the gap between intent and outcomes. Visit devrybv.com to learn more about how businesses can either react to change or inspire it.